This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. excited about what we're covering today. So we're in a series about everyday church um, and uh, today we're talking about everyday community. So I'm going to pray um, as we get going. Father I thank you that you are a great and awesome God who for whom the angels roar at the glory of your son and Father I thank you that your spirit is with us now and I thank you that you are seeking to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to us and so I pray that you'd help us to see that and I pray that you would transform our lives through that knowledge. Amen. Right. What we're going to be doing today is, um, and this might be just stretching the sort of bounds of um, plausibility, is sort of doing a theological equivalent to Baumgartner. Do you remember this guy, Felix Baumgartner? He was the guy who, um, um, he was the guy who sailed right up um, into the atmosphere on this little balloon thing um, and then jumped off. And what I mean by what we're doing here is we're going, to be taking, we're going to be starting by taking a very big picture view. So the way that he can like see the, you know, the curvature of the earth, he can see the stars above him. We're going to be starting at that side, and then we're going to be falling off, and then we're going to be sort of getting closer and closer and closer. And as we get down, the sort of vision of what this means is going to get closer and closer. So it's going to start big. It's going to be a little bit like, whoa, what's this? This is like way too hard to like just hold in your head. And then we're going to get like right down to the nuts and bolts of what does this mean for me in the next like half hour. Okay, so that, that's, the, that's the course we're going on. Um, any and everyday community. So we're going to start with the big picture. Okay, and I'm going to hit you with a question now. This, the question I'm going to hit you with is, um, is who is God? Whether you're a Christian or not, if you were to just sort of describe who the Christian God is, in like, you know, a sense of like, who is he? Like, what's he like? What does he do? Like, what's the most important thing you could say about him? I'm sure there's lots of different answers there. Um, I'm not going to try and sample them, um, but someone who I think probably did have a pretty good answer to this when, when attempting to give it was John, who was um, Jesus' pretty much closest friend, um, and we're going to be focusing today on a few excerpts from, from his writings particularly. And when he wrote a letter, he wrote a little letter called 1 John, which um, he said this, he said, God is love. Okay, quite a succinct description, because the trouble is when, when we say that, and some, some people may have, say that, may have said that, and even as we read it, Despite that being a remarkably simple sentence, I think we often misread it. Okay, you know, what are you talking about, Tom? Like, it's just three words in a row, right? No, I think we, I think we misread it. Um, and in so doing, I think we miss what is perhaps the most important and distinctive thing about who the Christian God is. Okay, so when we read love is God, a couple of ways we can misread that. We, can, we could read it as, um, as love is God. Okay, love is God. So, you know, what do I mean there? Well, Either love is the most important thing, so love rules, that's the most important thing out there, and so you know, that's the thing we've got to uphold. Um, or you can read it as like love, is, God is sort of made of this stuff called love. So like there's this like cosmic love stuff that, and God is made of that. So, you know, that, that's what we mean. Well, not quite, that's not what John's getting at. Another way is to read it as God is loving. So 
that's something God does. God loves people, but that's not what John's saying. John's saying that he is intrinsically love. See how that's different? It's not just that he does some loving, which is, you know, undoubtedly true, but that he is love. So what does he mean? How can he be love? What's What's that getting at? To help answer that question of who, um, who God is, we're going to look at um, some of John's accounts of what Jesus himself said and prayed the night before he was murdered. Okay, so there's, there's a whole section of John's, um, John's account of Jesus' life which is focused on basically like the last like, 24 hours of his life. And I think John realised that what Jesus was coming out with in this last 24 hours was like some real gold. And, and so he captured a lot of that. And Jesus gives us that big picture view that sort of cosmic, eternal perspective, that, that Baumgartner on the sale sort of view of who God is um, when he's doing that. So we're going to look first at John 17, which is, um, which is where Jesus is praying in, in the garden. It's just after the Last Supper, okay? So he's just had his last dinner with the, with the disciples. And he's outside, and he's praying with his disciples. Um, and he says this. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. One way to think about who God is, you know, to sort of boil him down to like what, what is the most essential thing about him, is to think about what was he doing before he made the world? You know, what, what was going on you know, before he got bothered about us? What was he doing? And this gives us an answer. It says that before anything was created that we know, there was a father loving a son. God the Father was loving God the Son. Do you see that? Jesus is praying, look, give me that same glory that I had with you before the world existed. There was this relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And the Son is described as Jesus Christ, and Christ means the anointed one, okay, and particularly anointed with the Spirit. And it's not, you know, unfortunately it's not neatly in this one sentence, but just at dinner five minutes ago, Jesus was talking about that spirit. Jesus had just explicitly talked about the spirit over dinner in, in chapter 15, where he says, that, and he just talks, talks about the spirit, as the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. So what these three people going on here, we've got the Father, we've got the Son, and we've got the Spirit. So before anything existed, for all time, there was God the Father loving God the Son through God the Spirit. And that relationships of the three persons or people is what we call the Trinity. Now, for whatever reason, right, I've never quite got to the bottom of this, Christians seem to get their knickers in a twist when we, when we start to use the word Trinity. Right? We, you know, we, our God is Trinity, and it's, it's like suddenly all-encompassingly too complicated and mis- mis- sort of mysterious to be able to possibly explain. And, um, so, you know, people sort of say, well, you know, we've got this God who is who's three persons, but, but he's also one. I'm not really sure how that's the case, but, you know, that's, that's who we believe in. Um, you know, can we talk about salvation or something? Let's just something easier. Um, and if pushed, and I've heard these analogies given, we, we, might, we might give an analogy to try and help describe what we mean by the Trinity. Um, these are my two favourites. First is that God is an egg. Right? that he's got this like shell, that's like one part of him, and then he's also got like egg white, and then he's also got egg yolk, and like, you put all that together, and you, that's three things in one, so God's like an egg. Okay. Um, another one is that God is like water. 
Okay, so you, you know, you've got water, and then you've got, like, well, water can also be st uh, like steam, or it could also be ice, and so God's like water. <laughs> Not particularly helpful analogies, and, and I'd argue that they're actually sort of like distracting you from what actually God is like. So um, try to forget them, and I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to sort of step into that and offer what I hope is a little bit of simplicity, which is not, you know, Tom's take on this. This is a standard theological sort of uh, understanding of who God is through the Christian centuries. Um, th this is who God is. God is three persons who love one another. The Christian God is three persons who love one another. It is not any more complicated than that. God the Father, loving God the Son, through God the Spirit. And they love one another so much that you could describe them as being one. In the same way that you might say a husband and wife or a family unit are one. Okay, so they're not one in the singular sense, they're one in the united sense. They're all come together. And trinity as a word is made up of two parts. <coughs> Tri unity. Tri means what? Three. Unity means together. Dead simple, dead simple. But So don't, don't accept the mantra that trinity is too hard to get your head around. Right, Trinity, three persons who love one another. The thing about love, remember what John was saying, God is love, is that love requires more than one person, right? And you can say, like, you can love yourself, but just step outside a minute, because I'm not sure that's talking about the same thing. You cannot love in total isolation. There's got to be, you've got to, like, it's a relationship. Love is, love is inherently about an interaction between two entities, right, or two people, so God could not love, God could not be love if he was not more than one person. It just like, doesn't work. Like, if you're just on your own, you can't be love. Because where, where's the love happening? Like, what's going on? Glenn Scrivener, who, um, Glenn Scrivener is a chap who he, he, he runs a church down in um, Eastbourne, I think it is. But he's also the guy who sort of put that course together, 321 that was on the screen. Um, so if you, you know, if you find any of this interesting, then, um, then do go along to that course. Um, not what I say interesting, what Glenn says is interesting. Please don't make that decision on the basis of what I say. The <laughs> Glenn Scriven says this, the way God is one is the way husband and wife are one. They are united in love. God is one because God is love. And God is love because God is Trinity. Hmm. Just like... You know, we're still at that big macro level, so just read that again. Just, you know, take that in. Because this is so important. I know it's like up here, and I know it feels a little bit heady right now, but this is so important. We've got to grasp this, and we're going to be getting into the details, so don't panic if this is feeling a little bit, what's all this about? But what I want us to grasp is the simplicity of it. God is three persons who love one another. And if God were not that, he wouldn't be love, because there'd be no one doing any loving. And that oneness of God, so when we talk about God as one, we're talking about that relationship, that intimacy, that interconnectedness between them and the fact that they are permanently, forever, eternally loving one another. So why does this matter, right? Is it, you know, so what? Is this, is this just sort of like a, you know, an important philosophical debate for the theologians? No. Like, this really matters. Because if you miss who God is, who the Christian God is, you'll miss what the gospel is all about. Because what God is doing, the, the gospel, the good news about the salvation that is offered, is fundamentally associated with who he is. You know, this is not just some like random sidetrack. 
It flows out of him. What God is doing is a product of who he is. So if you're imagining the wrong God, you're going to have a totally messed up view of, of what that gospel is. Let me, let me give you an example of where, where that's really common in, um, in church. Maybe you've heard the gospel explained to you like this. Okay? People are guilty because they've sinned. Okay? We've fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus died to save us from the punishment of our sins. And by believing in Jesus, we can have eternal life. Everything I've just said is true. But if you stop there, if you stop with that, you miss what it's all about. Why is God doing that? Why is he giving us this salvation? What's, what's it all about? I think the problem is that on its own, everything I just said makes the gospel a sort of thing which lets us off our spiritual speeding fines. You know, we've done something wrong and this, this sort of law relationship with God. God's very kindly stepped in and, you know, bailed us or paid for our speeding fines or gone to jail for us. And now I can be on my way in my car again and off I go and carry on. And the trouble is it misses what it's all about, right? Is that, is that the end? Is that what that was all about? Did God like, does God just like want us to have a nice time in heaven? Like, you know, thanks, you know, that's great, really grateful for that, don't, don't mishear me, but is that, is that what God was doing it for? Is that the end? Because I don't know about you, but I just feel like that, it's not enough. Like, why would he bother? Because we know that God really is bothered, right? We were just singing about Jesus dying on a cross. If what we've said about God is true, that there was this eternal relationship between God the Father, loving God the Son through God the Spirit, what happens on the cross was that that relationship fractures. It breaks. And it voluntarily breaks. There's no other God stepping in and saying, right, I'm going to tear that apart. This is that trinity saying, we are going to fracture that relationship for the sake of the people who've made us enemies. God really bothers. And that is a lot of effort to go to and a lot of pain to go to if the only end of it is us getting a ticket to heaven. There's something more going on. Later in that same prayer, on the night before Jesus died, in John 17, he said this. He said he's praying that those who will believe in me, so talking about all Christians, essentially, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, in I in you, that they also may be in us. Read that again. That all Christians may all be one, just as, you, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. What's going on there? What's Jesus, what's Jesus praying for? Jesus is praying this and going to the cross so that we could join that Trinity family of love. Don't mishear me. When you become a Christian, you do not become a God. Okay? That's not happening. But you do join the God family. That is what the gospel is about. That's the end. The gospel does not end with individuals being spared from punishment. It ends with people being adopted into a family of love. And it's the family of God. And God is building a new family 
And maybe it's helpful to, to rethink about sin, that act of rebellion, as being about where we've left that family, and salvation is about where we get adopted back into it. Okay? This is not just about spiritual speeding fines. That was a lot to take in, okay? But it's big and it matters. So there we are with the big picture, okay? We're now jumping off the platform. We've got a God who is love because he's Trinity. He's this divine loving family and he's saving us into that family. And if you want to know more about that big picture, as I say, go to, go to 321 because that's, that's all that the three of 321 is all about that. Okay, so we've jumped off the platform. We're in free fall, okay? Um, what we're going to do is, is focus in a bit more detail. Well, what I hope you're already realising, okay, when we've got to talk about everyday community, is that community is at the very heart of the gospel because it's at the very heart of God. Community is at the very heart of the gospel because it's at the very heart of God. It's who God is. Now, at God First, we use the language of mission, community and discipleship um, to describe the big themes of how the gospel shapes our life together. So there's the gospel, and that like, works its way out in our lives under that, those big categories, if you like, um, of mission, community, and discipleship. But the risk is that um, as we see, as we, as we read that, is that you start to think about community as some sort of byproduct, you know, or a thing for the committed, um, or you know, for the really eager beaver Christians, and it's sort of like an optional extra that's a nice to have. Wouldn't it be good if we were actually doing that? Well, no. Do you not see that from what I've, what I've been saying, that that loving community is right at the centre and God is saving people into a family. And that family is made up of God, you if you're a Christian, and every other Christian. It's not like you've got your own little family relationship with God and then Christian over here has got his own little family relationship. No, you are joining the big family. There is no little family for you to join. You're joining the big family. And I would suggest that not all of us have got this yet, okay? Because this is, if we get this, then I think lots of our lives would look very different, and I count me into that. Listen to, and this, this is not just um, John's take on it, and it's not just Jesus' take as well. We've got, we've got Paul, who, um, you know, n- another, another guy writing after Jesus' death. Um, he said this, In love, he, talking about God the Father, predestined us, Christians, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, this is not just like a side little angle of the gospel. Right? This is like right at the centre of it. So what does this mean, right? And th- this is you know, why, why I'd suggest that we don't, we don't all have this yet, we don't not all got it, is that the gospel is not individualistic. It is not about you and your sins. Okay. It isn't, it's just not about that. The gospel is so much bigger than that. It is not about you and your emotions. It is not even about your salvation and your ticket to heaven. Those things matter. Yeah, of course that matters. Like, God says that God cares about individual people. But the gospel is bigger than that. Yeah. And so if your focus is only ever on you and your relationship with God, if you come to church as a dependency for that, then you're in trouble. Because you've just not got what God's about. You've missed what the gospel is all about. Because God is building a family, and to know that God, there's no other choice but to join that big family. It just, it's the only way. It's the only way. 
Okay, so focusing down, right? Down to family, right? And what, what happens within a family is love, right? Within a family unit, in, in, perhaps in an ideal family unit, there's love. Appreciate that that's not always the case. And as we start out with a family, appreciate that's not always the case. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Jesus has quite a lot to say on love. Right? I think like, that's widely accepted that Jesus you know, offered a few words on the subject, um, but specifically on loving one another. Right? And some of his most powerful statements about that were, were at this, this final night before he died at the Last Supper. And so we're just going to read a few of them, okay? just to sort of capture the theme of what Jesus was talking about across that last dinner. So from John 13, and the context here when we read this, so you know, they're sat round, not at a glorious dining table, probably sat on the floor or something like that, um, there's 12 of them in the room. Um, I'm not sure if this is before or after one of them's left or the, some of them out shot, but um, they're, they're, there they are. But, you know, they're sat around, and Jesus has just got up and washed their feet. Okay, so that, that was, you know, taking all the filth off their feet, and, um, you know, they had open-sewed sandals. It was all a bit grim. Um, but that, that was what was going on. So, and then Jesus says this, okay, just onto the, onto the text. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Don't know how many times you can get that into a sentence, but he managed to, didn't he? Love one another. And he's not saying, just be lovely. He's saying, you know, just be polite people. He's saying, love one another, just as I have loved you. And that comes after that, hands-on, dirty, messy love, and it precedes being murdered on a cross for the sake of his enemies. And it's addressed to his disciples, right, to love one another. He's particularly talking to those people in that room and saying, you people love one another. So it's not just like, go around in the world and just be lovely people. Jesus is definitely sort of, you know, pro-being nice. Um, But... He's saying something so much more than that. He's saying these relationships between you, as you're forming that family now, need to be like that God family. You need to love one another. It's a particular dynamic between Christians. John 15, so this is just after dinner's finished. He says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is not talking about a fluffy love. Jesus is talking about sacrificial, costly, cross-shaped love. Mm-hmm. You don't miss that. These words are very familiar. Jesus is talking about the sort of love that takes people to their death. John 17, right? Jesus is praying in front of his disciples. Okay, and he says this. I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, because he's with them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, all people who are going to become Christians after that moment, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus is saying, like, this is where that is just so electric. Jesus is saying that the relationships between us as Christians should be just like who? Just like God, right? Just like the Trinity. The strength and depth and like, fierceness of that love between us should be as strong as what we were talking about about the Trinity. That eternal relationship between God the Father loving God the Son through God the Spirit. 
And when we read what Jesus has said, it, like, it seems obvious, right? But that, but that doesn't mean that we get it. Because getting it means doing it. Okay? And I'm not there. I don't know if anyone else is. I, I am not there yet. Um, and those who interact with me will know that that is not the case. Um, but what, what I'm conscious as I say this is that maybe there's some people who've come to church before or for a long time and no one's ever explained the gospel to you like that. No one's ever said like this, like this other people dynamic to it. You know? That's quite a big deal. That's quite a big deal. And um, I can only apologise if that's not been made clear to you um, because Jesus is very clear about it. And this, the symptoms of, of not knowing this, of not living it out, are, um, well, there's lots of them, but perhaps here's a diagnostic question for you. Does anyone in this room depend on you? Does anyone in this room need you? Because there's a love relationship there where they like, rely on you. They're so connected to you that they rely on you. And if your only answer is your partner, because you're married, then I'm talking about more than that, though that's you know, an important relationship to get right. But you see, that, that's what the sort of relationship that Jesus is getting at. He's brought 12 disparate people together as his disciples and told them to love one another as God loves one another. If there's no one in this room who you depend on or has depended on you, be that you know, as one-off moments or as you know, a pattern in life, then maybe you're not quite there. Okay? Now, I don't say that to like, disparage you. you know, we're all like, you know, we're on a journey. But that's the sort of thing Jesus is getting at. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's where we're heading. Okay? Who, are you, who are you laying your life down for in this room? To paraphrase John 15, where Jesus talks there. Who are you laying down your life for? Now, there's a lot of people in this room. Okay? And the ambition is not that we all love one another with that ferocity of love. Not sustainable. Right? That would just be... Like, it'd be amazing, but it's not going to happen because we just don't have capacity in our lives to love everyone like that. And so the way we work it at God First, as our way of like, trying to do what Jesus says, is to put some like, definition to that. And so that's why, one of the reasons, we have our community groups, our G1Cs, God First Community Groups, because it gives us a space to say, right, there's, a, there's, there's 10, 15 people in this room I can really pour my life into these people and they can pour their life into me. Right? They're, they're not the only relationships we have. Like, there's other relationships going on in the church and that's absolutely fine. It's, it's, can't, you know, it's not, can't be friends with these people, you must be friends with it. It's not like that, but, you know, but that's the idea. It gives us a commitment of people who say, yeah, I'm, I'm on this journey with you and I'm going to love you in the way that God has loved me. The way that God loves himself within the Trinity. Okay, so that, that's why we have them. And, and that's why it's really essential to be, be a part of one as well, because if you're, if you're not part of it, it's so much harder, so much harder to say, well, who are those relationships? Who, who are they with? And it also forces us to love people who aren't the people we choose to love. Okay, that's, that's really helpful, um, because only loving the people who are lovely or love us is not costly love. It's really easy love. Okay, so... There's something there about forcing us into a position that's good for like, helping to massage our heart to apply the gospel. Okay. Um, and it's not, but it's not easy to get community right. Okay. So when we talk about uh, God-first communities as being our answer to doing community, it's not easy to get that right. And 
it's so important that we keep thinking about how we do community in our God-first um, community groups to make sure it's shaped by the gospel, that this just doesn't become a, a nice community that's, you know, good in some ways, but it's actually a gospel-shaped one that is trying to live out what Jesus said. So here's a few points on what gospel communities are and what gospel communities are not, okay? Um, and, the, you know, this is what they are. Gospel communities are full of worship, okay? And that's everything from singing, like sort of explicit types of, you know, singing, praying, that sort of stuff. But it's also about lives lived out as living sacrifices. That is our spiritual worship, according to Paul. This is about, they're they're the spaces where we need to be talking about Jesus. This is about sharing the word with one another. This is about challenging one another to adhere to the gospel, to, to live our lives fully and wholly to him. That, that, so uh, particularly just, just to focus in on that, about what we mean by like the word. Like, the Bible needs to be either in like big conversations, like with everyone, it needs to be in the little conversations, it needs to be when you're washing up, it needs to be like that little encouragement, that little challenge, that text message that you send, that WhatsApp group you're a part of. Like it's, it just needs to be everywhere. It's got to get everywhere. If it's only in that like formal study time, we're missing a big part of what this is about. The word, the word, the gospel. We've got to be, like, It's just got to be gospel conversations all the time. Worship. Um, gospel communities are full of service. Right, they're places where we go out of our way to love one another. Where we're a family, where we say, okay, we are choosing to be a family because of what God has done for us, and so we help and love one another, whatever the cost and whatever the need. Just like a family loves one another, whatever the cost and whatever the need. Where we prioritise what other people need over what we want. And thirdly, gospel communities are places we belong. Okay, so these are places that we say, I am part of this family because of what the gospel has done, because of what God has done for me. And it creates a set of relationships with that type of commitment that's a bit like marriage. One of the things which... um, Florence and I sort of uh, reflected on when we were married is that uh, early on was that the, the, the assurance that we know that neither of us were going to leave meant that we could be much more comfortable about being open about our failings. Like that's, that's, that's what, you know, it's a really important part of commitment. And exactly the same principle applies in our community groups. It means you don't need to come along, come along and put on a nice show. Here I am. I'm all composed. You know? No, like you can come along and you can say, actually, I'm, I'm really bust up. You know, I'm inadequate because every Christian is inadequate. We all have sins and we're all like faulty. But we're all here to help apply the gospel and to heal and to love one another. We can confess our sins without fear of being excluded. But we can also, and this is really important, we're not just there to sort of confess all of our problems. We're also there to challenge one another to say, okay, this problem is the gospel. So we've got the authority and and the capacity and the assurance to say, okay, well, I can have a frank conversation with you in love to say, okay, well, this, this is how the gospel applies to that. This is, this is how we need to you know, pull your socks up and like, really get on with this and really let the gospel speak into your life. But if we didn't have that sense of belonging to this, this, this being like my permanent family, then we don't have that. We, it's not possible to do that because people just leave. Um, there are places where we regularly show forgiveness and patience. And, and I, I, I describe... I've just used this language in our group, that with our G1C is our primary family within this bigger family. So they're the people that you call on in time of need. They're the people that you send out your crisis WhatsApp message to to say, you know, 
car's just broken, mayhem, baby's been sick all over my face, like, just help. You know, that, that's, that's what goes on, right? They're the people you turn to, okay? Because you see, the gospel makes all the difference to community, and if we don't have God and the gospel as our constant model and understanding of what this means for how we're trying to do community, it warps it out of shape. And, and see, the, the next slide is some classic ways that this happens, okay, particularly in churches, um, where, where we detach the gospel from community and we just have community according to, you know, other influences. First one, community as therapy. Okay, it's a place that we go to to have our problems solved by someone else. It becomes a place where you go to, to get what you need to fix your issues. And the risk with groups like that is that they become all too easy to become self-absorbed, pain-focused, or recovery-centred. This is not to say that, you know, just hold this against what I said before about the fact we're all broken and have problems, but if we are only focused on the fact we have our problems, then we're missing that bigger picture. And in fact, Jesus says that by loving one another, we will have joy. You know, that by doing what he says in those verses, particularly in chapter 15, it, it follows straight after. He says, if you do my commandments, this is how you're going to have joy. And a, a sense of sort of completeness and peace. But if we're only ever focused on ourselves, we, we don't get to that. The gospel teaches us that we're very broken, but the solution is to fix our eyes on Jesus and love others, not only to focus on ourselves and what's wrong. Another problem, community is networking. This is for the, the middle class amongst us. Um, the symptoms of this are that you know lots of people, but they're not people that you love. Okay, they're people that you socialise with, but not people who you see the broken side of or let people see the broken side of you. You, might, you may even serve one another. You, know? you, may, you may do things to serve one another, but the ways that you usually serve one another in this sort of scenario are usually quite lightweight ways that, don't, that typically play to your strengths. This is the thing that I can offer, but never really cost you anything and where you feel like you never really know the other people in your group. The gospel connects us as a family, right? Warts and all, all of our problems, and it, it, it charges us to get involved in one another's lives and to love one another in meaningful, costly ways, even if that's not our particular gift of how to love. It's because someone else needs it. Third one, final one, community as program, okay? Is your community, and I... I've started to get really sort of irate when I hear this, um, even in our notices. I won't say who said it today, but is your community a midweek society? I didn't use the word society, but is it a midweek group? Is it a midweek group in, this, in the way that you may go to another midweek group? Do you only ever see other people in your group when someone organises an all-together time? Okay. Do you only ever conceive of your gospel communi- God-first community as a thing on a weeknight? Or is it a community that is across all of your life, that you interact with on a Saturday morning, on a Sunday afternoon, here at church? Like, do you feel like a, a special connection to the people in your God First community here, perhaps amongst the bigger group? Jesus says we're to be a city on a hill. Remember Jesus said that you know, in describing what the church is like? A city is a really busy place, right, where there's lots of different interactions. And it's not just happening in the church, you know, within the city. It's all the little interactions going on here, there, and everywhere. Jesus says we're to be like that. It's all that interconnectivity. So it's got to go beyond a once a week event. All those distortions are phony community, right? The the sort of plastic, skin deep stuff that we want to to throw away. Gospel community says we need to be like the Trinity. And Jesus' prayer is that we would be as one as God is one. That our family here, our family here, 
would be like the cosmic God family that the Trinity is. Okay. So as we do this Baumgarten free fall, we're still you know, 10,000 feet now, I hope what you're realising as we're descending is that that big picture view of Trinity is actually the same view that we're having when we get down into the weeds. Okay. It's all connected. Time to pull the parachute, so to speak, and think about what the really sort of detailed things this means. Okay, what, what do I actually do, therefore, if all that is true, and if we're actually going to achieve that? What, I just, what I'm going to do, I've got, I've got a sheet here. That I've just been writing down some ideas whilst I've been preparing this, of, um, of sort of like really practical ideas of like what this would actually look like. This is not comprehensive. This is just like some ideas about what it means. My point of just reading this list out is just to fire up the imagination a bit. And I'm conscious as I say this that I know, and this is why some of them are on the list, that these are already happening. So this is not like, right, we're starting from baseline zero, we've got, it, got a long way to go. Some of this stuff is already happening, and that is wonderful, and that is an answer to Jesus' prayer. Right? Jesus has prayed that this would happen. Okay, so, and it's, I can see it being lived out, and we can all, I'm sure many of us can attest to it. Um, but it's a list to get it, just get us excited, right? Just take some of this on, right? Have someone round for dinner each week who otherwise eats on their own. Celebrate each other's birthdays. Do someone shopping for them when they're ill. Holiday together. Forgive someone who offended you. Do someone's washing up. Look after a couple's kids so that they can get a free night together. Please do, please do say if you want to do it. <laughs> Take someone to a hospital appointment who can't drive themselves. Take an hour a week to teach someone who Jesus is who doesn't know him. Fix someone's bike because you're the one who's got all the tools and know-how. Clear out someone's garden on a Saturday morning because you know they'd really appreciate a hand doing that. Invite a person out for a drink with your friends because you know they'd like the company. Do the school run together or for someone else. Have a frank conversation with someone when they've done something wrong to you. Forgive the person who has done something to hurt you. Choose to be patient with the person who is often late or forgetful. Watch TV together. Encourage someone who lacks confidence. Clear your diary to help out when someone falls ill. Console someone who's lost their job and help them find work. Apologise for lying and ask for forgiveness. Get out of bed earlier, perhaps once a week, to pray with other people. Pay for someone else in your groups to, to pray for someone else in the group's meal so that they can join you at a restaurant. There's a list of ideas, right? That, that is just some ways of living out, love one another. Jesus has told us to love one another. You have the permission from Jesus to love one another. Do not wait to be told. Do not wait for a church program to provide the structure for you to do it. Love one another. You are accountable to Jesus for doing that. And it's our response to the gospel, which is why we do it. No, we're not quite finished. Okay, we pulled the parachute, but we're not quite finished. I, at God First, we, we talk about our community groups as places to live out the gospel, not only as community, but also as mission and discipleship. And one of the changes we're making to our groups is to try and rebalance 
particularly how we do mission and to bring that more to the fore. Because the way we've operated the last couple of years just meant that we've, we've not really been doing that and doing that properly. I, mean, I don't have time to elaborate on that now, particularly what it's going to work out. And that's what Wednesday is really, really all about, just trying to communicate that in full. Um, so do make sure you get along. But I mention it now because my concern, and maybe you'll have this particularly off the back of today and Wednesday, is that I'm saying to you, particularly when I give like a list of things, is, man, you want me to do all of that in community, and you want me to do all of that in mission. Ain't going to happen. Like, just, just not all the time. Like, just in the way that like, I can't love everyone here, there's no way I'm going to be able to do all that stuff about community and all this stuff about... Like, I've got family to write, I've got a job, like, just not going to happen. I'm so, I absolutely love this bit. This is probably my favourite like, line in the Bible, which just answers that question. Okay. Um, let's look again at uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17. I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, us, if you're a Christian, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What? So, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus is not even saying, like, this community thing really matters. Jesus is saying there's something beyond that. That's, it's almost like that's not the end. Be, be as one as God is one, so that people would believe that the word that is spoken about Jesus is true. Our lives together are the evidence, according to Jesus' prayer, that the gospel word is true. What? <laughs> that, I just, that, what a responsibility. What a responsibility to get that. But also, how exciting. Jesus is saying, like, in like, my plan and purpose, I am deliberately wiring the church together so that they would be the representation of the Trinity to the world. That, that brings these two sides together. Because what it means is that doing mission is fundamentally linked to doing community. But it changes how we do both. Yeah. It changes how we do both. Right, what does it mean for mission? Okay. It means that mission has to include community. It means that sharing the truth about Jesus, and that is like you know, a spoken act. You, know, you can't just know about Jesus intuitively. Like you, you know, someone's got to actually be told or read it or hear about it, whatever. It's, it's not only words explaining the gospel story, but it's also about letting people see, taste, and feel those words actually being lived out in this community. Okay? I'm telling you that this is true about Jesus. This is, this is the evidence that it's true. This is the predominant form that miracles happen in now. Right? This, this is where the miracle is. Jesus is saying, this community here, this is where the Spirit is empowering people to love one another. This is where lives are being transformed. This is where people are being healed. This is, this is where it's at. Jesus is very confident about the church being the place that people would see and believe that what they hear is true. 
Glenn Scrivener, again, just to quote from him again, puts it like this. Okay. There is not fellowship on the one hand, uh, yeah. there is not community on the one hand and mission on the other. But in the plan and purpose of God, our fellowship, our community, is missional. The community of the church is not a community for its own sake, but for the sake of the world. This outward focus defines our life together. We are neither a holy huddle nor a loose association of evangelists. Loving gospel community, to continue the quote, is missional. The love of the Christian family is the shop window, love that phrase, shop window of the gospel and has unparalleled magnetic potential. This is almost at the end, that bit that we read from John 17 is almost at the end of his last prayer that he prays to God. There's a sense of climax here that this is what Jesus really cares about. He really cares about this. He cares so much about it that he's about to go and be murdered to enable it. Jesus really cares about this. I think it's important we do. So here's a, here's a challenge, right? Where, where do your worlds meet? You know, Because wh- wh- you may be thinking right now, well, I've got this like church community and then I've got like, well, everything, everyone else I know. Jesus sort of is implying that, you know, for this to work, then these two worlds have got to meet. Yes. So where do they touch? Where in your life, you know, where do they touch? Where does, where does the person who you work with, if we say, or sit next to, get the chance, the chance to see some of those interactions? And think, think imaginatively about that. That doesn't have to be like coming along to a Wednesday Bible study group. That sounds like it'd be a pretty traumatic place to go to in many ways. Like, <laughs> what, but where do they see some of your relationships happen? Where do they see it? You know, we, we had um, some people around last night, and I was conscious when we were talking about... Um, it was some people that we, from our antenatal group that we were just talking about the fact that many of you blessed us with giving us meals um, during, during the time that, uh, for the first two weeks, uh, three weeks of um, Eisen's life. And I was like, man, it'd be great if they'd have like, been able to see more of that rather than just talking about it. It's great that we could talk about it, but man, wouldn't it be really great if, if they could see it? And then I remember actually there was a couple who was with us one day when someone came and dropped something around. And I think they were like, what? Who are these? And, I have to confess, the person who dropped the meal around that day, I wasn't actually sure of your name. <laughs> and so I, I had to try and explain that to these people, that there's someone who I don't really even know the name of has come around and given us a meal because they just want to support us. <laughs> Worlds collide. Like that, they, they were clearly like, no, we, we don't have that. There's something, something different about that. And that, that is all to the credit of, the, of that... Um, lady who brought that, that meal around that night, and I won't say who that, I do know your name now, but I won't, I won't, say, it. I won't say it now for, for the sake of embarrassment. Um, we need to be communities of love, okay? And, we, and this is crucial, we need to be seen to be communities of love, okay? We need to be communities of love, that's our answer to Jesus' love one another directive, but the other is we need to be seen to be, and that's the answer to his prayer. We need to be seen to be communities of love, we need to be, people, right, when we're talking about mission in the last few weeks, People need to encounter God first, not as a place, not as a building, not as an event, but as a network of relationships, okay? rather than simply as a meeting. Um, as I say all this, can I just say something specifically to, um, to anyone who doesn't identify as a Christian? Okay? Um, but the point is, if this is all you see, 
if this is all you see, then you're missing the best thing we've got to offer. You're missing it. You're missing the best evidence we've got that what we say here, that what I'm saying that about all this stuff is true. You're missing the best evidence we've got. And also, we, we really don't have any anxiety about talking about mission. Um, this is no like secret gathering. You know, the door is open. Anyone can come in here. You know, if the press want to be here and like view this, like absolutely fine. There's no anxiety. We're not like hung up on this. This is not some like secret subversive tactic. We are sharing the good news about Jesus because we believe that it is true, and that's and we want people to at least know about it. So you've got the choice about whether or not to um, to, to believe it. But also, we, we don't have anything to hide. It's quite the opposite. We we want to. If you want to know whether or not what we say about Jesus is true, and like, you know, hopefully, you know, you're at least convinced that we're at least partially persuaded by what, what we're saying here, is that we, we are prepared to take the risk of you judging whether or not what we say is true by looking at how we live. Right? And that, we take that risk. If you don't see anything different about how we live, do not believe us. Okay? Don't believe us. That's the, that's the strength of the gamble which Jesus has told us like, we can take. Yeah? If you, as a Christian, don't see anything different, well, we're probably all fools. We're probably believing the wrong thing. But I do see it. I do see it. I, I see a difference. And many of us in this room can attest to regular, daily, God-presence transformation in our lives and it's in that nuts and bolts stuff in that list i read out that's 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 where it's happening that's where it's happening for everyone else who's a christian right three challenges this is, this is where we end now um you'll be glad to know um three challenges number one love one another number one love one another jesus could not be clearer Love one another. And if you only remember any of these challenges, remember that one. Love one another. Challenge number two. If you're going to make these worlds collide, cut back on impenetrable church commitments. Do less closed church. Do more open church. Okay? I'm saying that in jest. If that means come off some rotors, if that means you need to do less stuff where you're only ever spending time with Christians, do so because you will not be able to make your worlds collide. You are, you are depriving the people in your life the chance of seeing the gospel is true. Okay? That's challenge number two. Challenge number three, put some time into your weekly, monthly rhythms of how you interact with Christians to mean that those worlds do collide. So if you just cut back on some church stuff, right, you know, closed church, but you never actually make the connection with the open church and people being able to see what you say is true, then we've not, we've not done it. So there's the challenges. Love one another, cut back on the closed, give people the chance to see that this is true. Let's not keep it to ourselves. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.